That first goal was a belter. I loved that first goal. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the crossing, for some reason, has suddenly become brilliant. But that's Southampton. That is that must be the most. I mean, as a left back, you'd appreciate the cross. But Absolutely. that must be the most satisfying goal for a striker to score, more than anything else. Like, like, don't break stride. Yeah, yeah. Run, plumb on your head. Well, like Chinch's fifth in the derby. A plumb on your head. A plumb that's very on your head to keep that balanced. I, I just think you'd really. There's something really satisfying about a goal like that. It was one of those where suddenly Twitter was awash with well, that's terrible defending by Koscielny. Well, that was just a really good cross. Can't we just yeah. go? But that's, sometimes that, if a cross is inch perfect, there's nothing you can do. That's about because it. someone we've we've tricked ourselves into believing there's always someone to blame. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a good cross and a good run. Yeah. I hate that thing where they where where pundits co-coms will sort of you can tell they're trying to find out if there's a way of making it the goalkeeper's fault. And you think, well, just enjoy it. I did. He just wellied it. He, ki- he kicked it very hard. He <laughs> wellied it. Yeah. Yeah. Chinch off air is, is a great is, sound. This is great. This is great content. How, how good would the content have been if Chinch had been wearing his headphones and microphone? Do it. Yeah. Lift, lift the lid, Chinch. Lift, lift the, the lid. lid, Chinch. Chinch lifts the lid. Welcome to Set Piece Many. This is the podcast where four friends talk football over food, although one of them remains firmly off mic for the beginning of the programme. You know when offices have a Christmas party and all the food is laid on and there are, at the very least, paper hats to suggest that the celebratory nature of the occasion? Well, this is ours, and you are all very welcome, although we have everything but uh, the paper hats. Uh, Chinch slash Nicky, has provided something that he's refused to tell us about so far in terms of food. Chinch, probably Nicky, has even sourced gifts that have been distributed to us in the form certainly of cutlery and then food and then to some of us coffee capsules. And Chinch, most definitely not Nicky, will also be photocopying his not insignificant backside and blue tacking the pictures to the wall for us all to find when we come in the next morning. Joke's on him, we're not coming back in tomorrow. Um, so Chinch, when you return to your seat, you'll tell us all about the food. But To be fair, I would have said that would have said that of, of the four of us, the one most likely to have an artistic print of his own bottom on his wall anyway is Andy Hinchcliffe. It's a papier mache moulding, isn't it? It's just by the smouldering passport <laughs> photo. <laughs> Hi, people. The, um, the papier mache um, moulding of your backside will go next to the smouldering picture of your passport photo. Um, with me, Hugh Ferris, are three people who best represent these European competition knockout ties. Stephen Wyeth, the Atletico Madrid v Juventus of set-piece menu. They might not have won it recently or at all, but they're good at second place. Rory Smith, the Lyon against Barcelona of set-piece menu. He's clever enough to know it'll be closer than many expect. And Andy Hinchcliffe, who is the Slavia Prague versus Genk. There is something interesting there. It's just you have to work very hard to find it. Genk! <laughs> Get in touch with the podcast if Admirable you like. club, Genk. Please do via at set-piece menu on Twitter, setpiece menu at gmail.com. And the conversation continues on Facebook. Just search uh, for set piece menu. What are we eating, Chinch? Uh, what What have I made? Do you mean? What has Nicky made? We for us, have Chinch? a fine hot pot <gasps> that is cooking away, but we can't eat that for another forty five minutes. Okay. And then Stephen Wyeth, the Bonoffi pie. Yes. The greatest news ever received as I came in the front door today was so what was for dessert. I wasn't even bothered about the main course. Well, Just, has the Bonoffi pie been made, Chinch? As a man who has not eaten a scrap of food Good. today, having been told. To, to leave my stomach empty because of the Christmas feast that was awaiting and also does I was on the telly uh, the <laughs> look at him he's still got his makeup on more on that the, in a moment <laughs> I do not know how to remove it well let me tell you 
later. Right. We have essentially 45 minutes to get through this episode of Seppi's Menu so that we can enjoy our hot pot in its pot at its hottest. It's not really a Christmas meal, though, is it? Hot pot and banoffee pie. Yes. That's a classic yes. Christian classic combo, Christmas. is it? Over, it's overeating is Christmas themed. It's, oh, okay. it's a winter meal, though, surely. So yeah. that's, that's Okay, okay. Yeah, that's covered. We're not complaining. That's why I did it. Exactly. That's why you made it. We start the correspondence with this from Stuart Cooper. It's the second time on Stuart. Nice work. Hi, Steve. Says Stuart. Was just listening to the latest podcast from the inimitable Private Eye. A recording of a recent live show they had, and lo and behold, around 18 minutes into the pod, whose name do I hear? But SPM's very own. Andy Hinchcliffe. Mentioned in the context of the brilliant Coleman Balls, now commentator balls, Chinch's incisive insight into the number of players needed to play the lone striker role goes to show that he has indeed now reached the very top of both on and off field disciplines in sport. With that in mind, here it is Andy Hinchcliffe, Sky Sports. The lone striker role was always going to be. A two-man job. <laughs> Chinch, explain You've yourself. You've well, made it, been, It's been taken out of context. Yes, that does sound ridiculous. It does. But what I was talking about was Solomon Rondon and the work rate that he puts in. He simply cannot play the lone striker role, which clearly is for one person, for the full 90 minutes. So on comes Hosselu to finish the job off as the lone striker. Hence, the lone striker role is a two-man job. I actually thought, I hadn't heard that before, and I actually thought that, Chinch was going to be making a very clever point about the way you have to structure a team in order to play a lone striker, as you do. You have to change your system. So, so you need support players you need to support, make the lone you need striker support to make the lone But what I was saying was about, in particular, yeah. Solomon Rondon's run and how hard it is, and you're trying to chase down defenders and run the channels. It's exhausting. So again, to take it out, that's, that's taking it massively out of context. You can see what I was saying. It's perfectly yeah. understandable. If they'd added on the second sentence, then it wouldn't have made... It would, it would have made perfect sense to everybody. It wouldn't have raised a titter. No, I don't think so. I have oh. also been in private eye, Chinch. Okay. Oh, have you? For um, illegal payments. No, uh, for <laughs> some, I think I was in Suits Corner once. It's a, it's a matter of, of honour. It, it is. You have been ridiculed nationally, and yet... Yes, but it's wrongly ridiculed. If, if I get it wrong, I, I would ridicule myself. Mm-hmm. But I was very careful... Why are you smirking? <laughs> I was very careful when I made the comment in-game. Because, yes, saying that, it's a two-man job. People say, wait a minute, there's only one person playing the role. Yes, but because it's so tiring, you have to use two people to complete the job overnight. So, again, it's very unfair. And private eye, they should be ashamed of themselves. Well, I'm sure they are. <laughs> and I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure they'll hear about this as well. Um, next uh, to a, a publication well-known for backing down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Litigious publication, which I'm sure is something that you'll succeed in, Andrew, with your claim. Uh, next to a couple of sliding doors moments that you've emailed in. So thank you, firstly, from Nathan Gisby. Hello to you. Here is the sliding doors moment, I think, to be the biggest influence on modern football. In 2003, Ronaldinho signed for Barcelona instead of Manchester United. This influenced the two greatest players of today. As is clear to see, says Nathan, Ronaldinho playing with Lionel Messi taught him the magic that Ronnie possessed. Messi's godly ability to dribble is as good as Ronaldinho's, especially if he had trained, says Nathan. Bit of bathos at the end there. Ronaldinho's impact on Ronaldo is even greater. With Ronaldinho moving to Barcelona, Manchester United decided to uh, to sign Ronaldo instead. Had this not happened, Ronaldo would have likely ended up at Arsenal with Wenger's infamous lack of training. I'd say this one transfer is the reason that football is the way it is today. Wow. Go big or go home, Nathan. He's gone big. Quite the suggestion. It's a really interesting theory. The theory falls down ever so slightly 
due to the fact that Manchester United have forever been the club that is leveraged in all yes. major transfer deals. So saying that Ronaldinho chose Barcelona over Manchester United is to suggest that we're taking seriously he might have gone to Manchester United in the first place. I think there was, I think there was a chance, wasn't there? there I think well, there was were. only the helicopter that scuppered it, some would have you believe. The, so, yeah, I think, I think there's, there's an interesting theory behind that. And yeah, that's a genuine Thaline Doors moment. The, whether... whether mm, would Messi not have fulfilled his talent if famously bad trainer Ronaldinho wasn't around him? I'm not, not entirely sure. Helping him through his nascent years. And also from Tajuddin Adeyemi. Hello to you. I am a Nigerian in Canada who is an avid La Liga fan. I love the podcast. I feel it's one for football intellectuals and philosophers. Mm. Take that mm. private eye. That's always the idea. Keep mm. up the good work, he says. Uh, three sliding doors moments in the Spanish League's recent history. We won't consider them all, but we will mention them briefly. Valencia winning one or both of their Champions League finals. Sevilla missing out on La Liga in 2007. And Atletico not winning the Champions League in 2014, which I will contextualise slightly because uh, he notes that was actually a good thing because it kept Atletico together. Valencia Mm. not winning the Champions League in the early 2000s. Had they done that, would several players stay? Would they become one of those gargantuan clubs to... Challenge? No, no, no I don't think so. I suppose, I suppose the biggest difference there is if Cooper wins one of the Champions League finals, then he doesn't leave. Benitez doesn't get the job. Benitez probably doesn't end up at Liverpool. So yeah, it has an impact, but I'm not sure it would have turned Valencia into a modern superpower. And finally, from John Wood, who is the one who first asked you to remember how many times their correspondence needed to be read out before they have Buffalo status bestowed upon them. Not yet, John, not yet. He says, I wanted to say how much I enjoyed Rory Times' Savalo Milosevic story. Really? Um, you remember that we rechristened the New York Times, the Rory Times, yes. via a slip of my tongue. Uh, maybe one day his son, says John, Ed Whittington Times, nice. will follow suit and call into a talk show about how Phil Foden has never lived up to his potential, for example. But the reason I wanted to mention the story is that for weeks I've convinced myself that it was going to be about former Serbian dictator Slobodan Milosevic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I thought that story would be. Maybe Rory had written a story about his budding career in the Serbian League. But you can imagine I was surprised and slightly embarrassed that it was, in fact, former Aston Villa striker Savo Milosevic. Needless to say, I've since Googled Savo um, to inform myself, and I've also been laughed at by my friends, one of whom listens to this pod for my silliness. Well, first of all, John, more than one of your friends really should be listening to the pod. And second of all, I'm sure you're not the only one. I feel as though I'm glad you enjoyed the story, but I'm sorry that it wasn't as good a story as you were expecting because it didn't feature Slobodan Milosevic. Yeah, I'm just trying to imagine the production meeting where Five Live on a Monday night would have decided they were going to have a phone-in about Slobodan Milosevic. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, it was the early 90s, so he he was in the news. (laughs) Players or uh, dictators as players might have been a conversation. Is Milosevic the only player who shares a surname with a notorious brutal dictator let us know at set piece menu did I miss the story was I was it a podcast when <laughs> yes you yeah, have been away a lot recently waiting and waiting for it yeah, much like me you... for my cup of coffee chinch <laughs> is it worth repeating no no okay. it's worth I'll listening t- to I'll tell you off air no you're alright if, if you make me the cup of coffee you promised <laughs> when I walked in is it, oh, it's over there let me get it here goes chinch now if you are listening uh, contemporaneously, you will know that there has been a significant managerial change at a big club mm. this week. So in our own inimitable way, we're going to take a well-trodden path and fork left or right to the area so far left relatively untouched in the week that Jose Mourinho was sacked as Manchester United manager. <laughs> no way! Were you listening to the Savo Milosevic story and you missed it? Uh, the big news of the week prompts this consideration, therefore, on set-piece menu. How to run 
a football club. In 2016, Manchester United were caught between a rock and a hard place. They needed a fresh start after the underachievement of Messrs Moyes and Van Kaal. And Ed Woodward needed to make a splash. The executive vice chairman had been taken for a bit of a ride by a number of high-profile players and their agents. United, for example, had been used by them to get a better deal where they were or where they were going to go anyway. So Woodward's desire to snare a big signing took him from the field to the touchline and Jose Mourinho who had left Chelsea early that season and who had been subtly courting United while in other jobs for 10 years and overtly courting United since becoming uh, available that was Ed's solution since then it's become clear that the two didn't fit and on December the 18th 2018 three years and a day since he was sacked by Chelsea for the second time Woodward pulled the plug on something that had become sufficiently dysfunctional for him to go against his mantra of United being a long-term club and to uh, break another mantra of support that he had offered until then but would this ultimately failed relationship have prospered anywhere else? Was it a lack of synergy and purpose unique to the egos and club involved? Or did it teach us that there might be a lesson here in how to run a football club? You can put the word not anywhere you like in that sentence, particularly if you're at the right age for Wayne's World, where you'd put it at the end. So in a roundabout way, this is Set Piece Menu's mission statement based on opinion and no direct experience whatsoever on how to run a football club. Which I think is a more interesting area, just the, 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 the whole the whys and wherefores of, of what Mourinho got wrong and whether he's finished at the top level and and the kind of the the specific problems that are unique to United. The the idea that they've been over commercialised and that they, they, they care more care more about about bringing in revenue than they do about results. They will be analysed everywhere. But what what's really interesting to me is that Including by the way on BBC Radio Five Live and BBC Breakfast, which is why Rory is still wearing makeup. Yes, but I do look a lot better for it and less like a heroin addict. You look like the Widow Twanky. I do not look heavy like on the rouge. Widow it, no, Twanky. He looks sensational. He looks like he spent time with you in Portugal. That's what the, <laughs> but I think what's what's interesting about the kind of the example of the modern United is that so much of the issues are are structural, and it it just gives us a chance maybe to to see whether we between us the brains trust have a clear idea on how we think clubs should be run. Is there a what is best practice? Well, what running running United is not running. Uh, any other club is it? Well, it has to be specific to the club. That's great point number one from Andy Hinchcliffe. It has like to be the club. The club leads point the way. number one. From yeah. You can't run every club. You can't run. Every, you can't run Burton like you run Manchester United. So surely the running of, of clubs has to change. You, you can at least in principle. In practice, perhaps not. You want to, as Manchester United have done, make yourself more than sustainable, but sustainable yeah. financially, so that you have stability to allow your football side to flourish. The thing that's fallen down with Manchester United in particular is that the accusation is that they have become so financially stable and focused on that so much that they have let the football side flounder. An interesting thought did occur to me, which doesn't, doesn't happen very often, which is a slight tangent to this subject, but I, I, I want to record it for, for posterity. Is that all right? So, with with that with that face, Rory, with that face, yeah, with this Pat- heavily Patrick, made up face, Patrick did the makeup. Is it the lone pa- striker being a two man job? <laughs> no, no, sorry, pa- Patrick is an excellent makeup. Patrick player. is fantastic, great, and he shares my loathing of the M62. Who wouldn't? Exactly. That's not a unique club. No, that's true. No. Right. Anybody who's ever strayed up north shares yeah. your loathing. Anyone who's driven on the M62. Anyway, strayed up north. That's a little negative. Journey deliberately to see in, the sights and sounds in. Man United's, I believe, quarterly investor calls in which Ed Woodward talks. You can dial in. Oh, in fact, do you know what? Ed. I was listening to you on the radio on my way to Pets at Home on Monday, Hugh, and you had to refer to the 2020-2021 season. <laughs> that was hard work. Right. <laughs> We've got a real problem coming up for an entire decade of saying 2020-2020 whatever yeah, yeah. it is. Yes. 
That's going to take ages to refer to years. I think we need to change the system. This is a, an, a tangent to the tangent. 2021 sorry. is still a little bit cumbersome. 2021, 22, 2022, 23. Yeah, you need a little bit of articulation. Yeah. I often, it's tough. I often doubt myself on the radio when I'm talking about upcoming World Cups and Olympics because you have to say say 20 so often that you, yeah, yeah. Con- you're slightly concerned you've got the dates muddled up. Yeah. Yeah. Qatar 2022. Yeah, 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 Keep yeah, on yeah. saying 20. 2020, 2020, 2020. Exactly. you uh, get it right eventually. But what the, the interesting thought, to return to the initial tangent, that what are we talking about again? <laughs> on the quarterly investor trolls. Is it the curvature of the year? Oh, sorry, that was <laughs> the, the, the voice sorry. of the people in comes chinch. <laughs> what? On, on the quarterly investor trolls, Ed Woodward always makes a point of talking about their social media engagements, and yeah. that's really important to, to all clubs of, the, of that ilk, is how much kind of traction they're getting on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and how many followers they have. All this stuff can now be monetized. You can sell those followers' data to people. You can sell products direct to those followers you can do paid posts and things that this is a, a genuine revenue stream for a club and it occurred to me it doesn't really matter if you win anymore does it in terms of that of, of that aspect of the business which is a significant part of the business because arguably if you're losing if you're a club like man united or, or liverpool or whoever barcelona or real madrid if you're losing people are probably talking about you more mm. so you are getting more traction you are getting more followers you are adding to the value of your business which and this may be a really obvious point that I'm, I've taken like five years longer than everybody else to catch up with. But that fundamentally changes the whole point of being a football team. So you hear people talking about, oh, you need to win or you lose yeah. fans. No, you don't. Not at all. Manchester United have, have long almost admitted as a club that winning trophies does not reflect their ability to make money. And if providing you can walk into a PowerPoint presentation and all the lines and the graphs are pointing upwards, they are satisfied. The, the thing that comes down to the, when it comes to making decisions, which is why they have parted company with Moyes, Van Gaal and now Mourinho, is about getting into the Champions League. So finishing in the top four in the Premier League is the only thing in which they can tangibly see a difference in terms of financial outcomes. But just very quickly on that, they have sacked Mourinho before that's become an issue. They might fear that it might not happen, but the previous two, they knew yes. that it hadn't happened. So the difference is, is that if you look at the stock market and the price, the value of the shares mm. on the New York Stock Exchange, that had wiped over, since August I think it was, that had wiped a third of the value off Manchester mm. United. That is close to a billion pounds. Yeah. If your value has reduced by a billion pounds and you are the Glazers who are considering this an asset possibly for yeah. sale, yeah. a billion pounds or close to it is much more of a significant amount than the 80 to 100 million pounds you will make being in the Champions League, which is why that must have been the catalyst to it rather yeah. than any prospect of missing and out in the Champions League, even though that's the, the criteria no, no, they've made a decision and before. You're, you're right, they, they have moved earlier this time, mm. but at the point of pulling the trigger, I think they were 11 points United behind fourth. So you're starting to get that sense that it isn't going to happen and a bit like a club down the bottom might roll the dice with a new manager to try and keep themselves up. United have effectively think, well, something's got to change to give us any hope of closing that gap. And, 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 and that is, and you're talking about the amount of money that they've lost in, on, in terms of value on the stock exchange because of their position in the Premier League or the, the gap between them and the Champions League places. Yeah, that is something that, that, that makes sense to people who, who see things in terms of figures rather than success on the pitch. And with United, if it is all about finances, even signing players, are they signing players like Pogba, like Alexis Sanchez, to develop the team to be successful? Or are they signing big-name players because of the, the coverage that comes with signing those players? Normally, you'd say a big club is signing the right players for the way it wants to play to be a better team. 
Are United doing that? Well, this comes to the central question. Yeah. Or is it all about, again, we're seen to be signing the very best players or the big names what, in the chin, chin, again, chin, chin, Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it really yeah. has nailed it, hasn't it? He's yeah. brought us right back to the subject, which is how to run a football club. Yes. And you would suggest that the lack of joined-up thinking between player development at all levels mm. of the club and the purasing strategy. I didn't even know I'd done that, but yeah, I yeah. have actually done yeah, that. It's incredible. incredible. It's yeah. completely nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Go yeah. and check the hot pot. Um, but that, but that, that is <laughs> the central issue that has led to the malaise that they are currently in. Well, I think so, yeah. It's just the, the lack of kind of overall thought in the in everything United do is or has been staggering. So even appointing Mourinho, a manager who has a, a distinct style, to a club where there is a... Re- where, where there is a demand from the fans for attacking football that he does not play or has never seemed particularly keen on playing. And also at a time when I think that being able to say to players that you have a clear attacking adventurous philosophy and being able to, to sell to fans the identity that comes with that is really important commercially. They don't get Mourinho and what, what a surprise doesn't work. And there's, there's, it never seems like a natural fit at any point. In terms of the transfer market, I think... They, th- their one philosophy that they kind of have is that they want to sign famous players, but I don't think there's, there's ever been any suggestion that they know kind of how to... that there's any pattern that they're trying to sign those players to, particularly. Or even, I remember, who was it that had the policy of not signing players over the age of 24, 26? That was, that RB Leipzig had that when they yeah. were coming up through the divisions. In was that in terms yeah. of developing the having youngsters yeah. in it? It wasn't for the for the sake of the, the, the size of the players or the stature no, 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 of the players. No. It was always to do with developing yeah. the team. Well, that, was was that was a Ralph Ranić thing yeah. in Germany. Yeah, you have That's with, it's Pogba more of a value financially than he is actually on the well, pitch. I think Pogba could be of equal value on, in both circumstances, but because of his na- the nature of his relationship with Mourinho or because Mourinho's not, the, not, not got the best out of him, he hasn't been a, a huge amount of value on the pitch. He has been huge to, hugely successful commercially. But the, Chelsea had the policy of not signing over 28s at one point. United, I think, did have something similar. They d- wouldn't with, give anybody over 30 yeah, right. more than a one-year contract. Exactly. Yeah. Whoever that player was. Whereas at United... At the moment, the, co- the contractual situation is ridiculous. The, I mean, the Fellaini, what happened with Fellaini is insane. That they, they, yeah. they kept him hanging on and hanging on and hanging on and eventually paid him about a third as much again of, as what he'd, he'd originally asked for just to get him to sign a deal. There's no policy in the transfer market, right or wrong. But so the, the Fellaini thing, again, is another, it's an assets thing, isn't it? And that's yeah. why they've all, all the United contracts have got this additional year, which they trigger midway through the final year of the, of, of the previous deal because they don't want to lose their assets for nothing or, or leave them open to be able to negotiate elsewhere. So the first thing I think I would say in terms of if, if someone gave me a football club to run, the first as, as chairman or executive... Christmas is coming. I think I'd be executive, executive vice... I think I'd be executive vice... I can't say that. Executive vice chairman? Yeah, I can't say executive vice... No, you no, really, can't, really can't. can't. Try it again. Executive we'll keep going until vice chairman. There we go. Just say it more slowly. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Um, is this because you spend too much time speaking to Americans and just referring to everyone as a CEO? Possibly, oh, yes. Why don't you say executive VP? Does but they, they, do, they do like a vice president in the States. They, they Everyone do. loves a vice yeah, president. Yeah, it's, it's vice chairman. Well, unless you, unless anyway. You, unless, you, unless you're a VP, then you've, you've really not you, made it. You know what? The, no, I think the first thing that I would do is, is make sure that there is not only a director of football or a technical director who, work, who has the head, of the, the head of the youth academy, the manager, and the head of scouting reporting into him, but make sure those positions are all filled by people who understand that that is the way that things work, that this one person at the top um, kind of collates all the information and everything flows through them um, and that's the big thing that United haven't got and it's that's bizarre because un- until what five, ten years ago at least at least ten if not five 
then the idea of having a technical director still still seems sort of unnecessarily exotic in English football. Now, I think everyone is united in the idea that Man United are re- slightly ridiculous for not having one. But that's that transfer policy you were talking about is a relatively new United strategy, which sort of yeah. reflects something that Real Madrid have been doing for years. That's not how it was up until, what, five and a half years ago. They would going out and signing the biggest names in the business was not the United way. They would sign players yeah. with potential and development mm. and turn them into to superstars. And, and this problem that United have got in terms of joined up thinking with their, with their transfer strategy does date back to the, the final months, years even, of, of the Alex Ferguson reign where nobody thought that you needed to plan for a future without him. And it was, you know, we've talked before about the sort of the force of nature that he was, that he managed to somehow drag that team to the title in 2013 when they had absolutely no right really in terms of the quality of the squads to win it. Yet somehow because of his influence, they were able to do so. But what we subsequently saw with Moyes afterwards was much more the level at which that team probably Mm. should have been playing. But United failed and unpopular opinion, Alex Ferguson has to take some responsibility for that by not making sure that the turnover of the squad in his during the course of his final seasons was enabled the club to go forward without Which it. is something that he was famous for doing, so it yeah, seems exactly. strange that he instinctively but didn't want that, to do isn't that. Isn't a joint effort with a technical... You haven't got a technical yeah. you can't use one, but that is the whole point. But the there was the technical director, yeah. the manager, that's what they all have to the club. But if he wasn't yes. doing it... Yeah. Yeah. Nobody was going to do it exactly, because exactly, he, yeah, he, he yeah. is the, the old-fashioned manager where he had control well, no, of absolutely, mm. absolutely everything. And he, he, he was, he, by that stage, was the technical director. He wasn't doing yes, the day-to-day was, coaching. But he was doing that, was, that but, but also he was focused more on the appointment of the new manager. Yeah. And he wasn't thinking necessarily about who those players that the new manager would have. The, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you think about what happened in that transfer policy that Steve mentioned changing, is that Robin Van Persie signed and that was a a signing that went counter to everything Mm. that Manchester United had preached and done in the past. Now that one worked and because that one worked maybe Manchester United thought our age profile doesn't need to be quite so restricted and and they started to make decisions on the back of that being successful that obviously proved not to be so and perhaps they should go back to what they originally thought in the in the mid-2000s. Although that 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 Van Persie thing does dovetail a little bit with the kind of thing that Liverpool have been doing more recently in City as well of identifying mm-hmm. the exact player that we needed to get to, to make this but, team but the age profile of, wasn't yeah the age profile but in terms of signing the right player at the right time for the job that needed doing then that was actually a really good bit of business because it, it helped it United was, win the title it was seen as selfish by Fergie wasn't yeah, it yeah, but to, that, to get him another title but that many United fans see that as being a reward for Fergie from the Glazers for enabling them to run the club in the way they wanted to at that time because if Fergie had been coming out and doing what Mourinho had been doing you know dropping well not even hints let's be coming out Mm. and saying I need X number of players for these many different positions then that would have put an awful lot of pressure on the Glazers to go out and spend some money and what Sir Alex Ferguson did both in terms of the way he spoke in public and what he achieved on the pitch was to enable, to make sure that the Glazers didn't have to do that. The the, the thing that always struck me with the, the kind of the thirdy drift was I remember being told by by a mate who works in with with young an agent who works with young players um, that he'd been to see United whoever was in charge of the academy at the time and he was led through some of the buildings at Carrington the Aon training complex mm-hmm. and there were they're not paying us to say huge that. numbers like. of empty offices that where, where they that they they were meant to have youth scouts. But they hadn't appointed any. 
they the, the club had been kind of trading, I guess, so much on the fact that everything on on the top was on everything on the top deck was right that they'd completely kind of ignored what might be happening below stairs or whatever the, sh- the correct shipping metaphor. I think below is. decks, right? Below decks, and he he. He compared that to City, where the, you go into City's facilities and everything's a hive of, of activity. They're, yeah. they're constantly giving people jobs. Everyone's new, and there's, there's, if anything, too many staff, and they're, they're throwing everything at it. And United just kind of had this, this guy. This, this would have been about a year after Ferdy left. This guy sort of sitting on top, making everything all right. Who had essentially, and I was going to make the same point as Steve, taking his eye off the ball a little bit on it in terms of everything else. And I think part of the problem that United have probably had is that they are try, they have tried to replace it the manager Alex Ferguson whereas in what they what they should have been doing was replacing the technical director Alex Ferguson the, the everything else who was, Alex Ferguson who was running the club with but the benefit of hindsight when Fergie left there were two jobs yeah they needed a head coach and not a technical even, director not even with hindsight I think you should have known that everyone everyone knew that oh yeah no, we, I, I'm we saying, yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah, with the benefit yeah, of hindsight yeah. no some, somebody at the club or, or any any but, club but should, they should, should have, have, yeah. should have foresight. Or, or even three jobs, because David Gill left at the same time, and yeah. somebody to come in to replace that uh, element of the business side of things, yeah. who had the knowledge or the relationship with the football side yeah. to be able to create the the kind of success that they had created up until that point. Because it was the relationship between Fergie and David Gill that was the successful thing. Fergie couldn't have done it on his own. But also the relationship that Gill had with the rest of football are really important. Gill was on the... The FA Council. He's still on everything, I think. He, isn't he? he was and possibly is still a UEFA vice president, or he's part of UEFA. You see him quite often at those at those blazer events. He knew everyone. There was a story a few, a few. Like come, a, come and join us at a blazer event like featuring a, David Gill. A sale at Charles Turwitt. The um, the. <laughs> I need I need one of them. By the way, I need one of them. The um, yeah, I get lots of emails about those. <laughs> there was a story not long ago about Edward Wood at one of the um, one of the Premier League meetings taking the other members of the big six aside, the representatives, for a, a quick sort of private powwow before a vote on, yeah. I think, on the international rights. Yes, you only have a powwow at a Blazer event. Yes, exactly. Uh, they were all wearing Blazers. They were powwowing. <laughs> it was great. Then that, Do you that, not have a powwow at a Native American event? As no, well? that's <laughs> slightly racist. No, I think that and powwow, I presume, is a Native American thing. That's where the word oh, comes I'm going to have to Google it so Google we don't it. offend anybody. The... <laughs> And that caused a lot of consternation with the with the other fourteen who didn't like the fact that this sort of manifestation of the bid sits cutting them out and making a decision as a little cabal. It's okay. Cabal not, is a Native American powwow. Oh, is that right? Yes. Um, so, so thank you, Stephen. I'm, I'm okay. You're, you're absolutely I? right. I don't have to edit that I out. Just, I just assumed that you were being really offensive, but as it turns out, he was you're never offensive. No, there's, there's, no tru- there's no trust never. from across the table. <laughs> there is really there? isn't. The um, anyway. So many tangents. You two, not t- not keeping this on track. How Why can't can you more, say more, so more, many tangents? Be more like me and Chinch. <laughs> we need actually, we need Chinch to say something to get us back on track. I am I'm ready. I'm ready to say something. You do your powwow about the international yeah, rights. Yeah, no, when Woodward did <laughs> that, it kind of annoyed everybody else, and I don't think I don't think Gill would have made that mistake. His relationship was was good with everyone, which which helps is a competitive advantage partly when you're ringing them and saying can we buy your players if you've got a good relationship with those people I don't know if Woodward has that there is no technical director to have that so the first thing I would do as the, someone who was running a, a football team would be to say right we need to have a proper managerial structure in place and the second thing I'd look at is transfer policy is that what Chinks was going to talk about it must be the structure the structure of the club whether it was from United well it's how it's been for the previous 
God knows how many years, or it's arrogance to say, well, we're United, we don't need to run our club like, say, City or Liverpool do. But are we, are we saying that United clearly have got it wrong because the structure is so wrong? All the other clubs that are being... Su- success on the pitch doesn't necessarily mean the running of the club is True. quite right because yep. it can't be the same for even a team like Arsenal in, in the transfer market. They probably can't compete like maybe Man City can. So you can't always say, well, the structure of the club must be right because you're having success on the pitch. But surely over time that has to help having the structure, having a technical director, everyone working together for the football side of things, for the business side of things. For the modern football club, the structure is absolutely everything. And that will then give you a better chance of being successful on the pitch, which is clearly what the fans are turning up to watch. Is the mitigating circumstance, though, for Manchester United, the fact that they had an anachronistic structure, but it was so successful? Exactly, yes. So they... they The problem was it was so successful. Why why should we change when this has worked so successfully in the past? Now, as another anachronism, Andy... That was <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> that was how things were in the 1980s and 1990s. Yes, there was, there was yes, no suggestion yeah. there would. It's like the the four four two of management structure. Yeah. Why change it? There is no yeah. other possible way. So you can understand that there might be a bit of a lag at Manchester United because of what had happened. So this is more than a bit of a lag, though, isn't it? <laughs> but but the, the lag is is understandable. The length of it, perhaps, yeah. is something that you can criticise them mm. for. So, if you are at a successful club, you, 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 you were, which I wasn't, you were <laughs> many <laughs> other ones. Yes, all the other but, ones. But clubs who have, at other times, been yes. successful. Yes. You, you yes. can understand the inertia yes. that's created by success. And I suppose, in terms of the success that, that Fergie had, was uh, of that time was incredible mm. because clubs maybe had a year or two of things being like that and being successful. But he had it over such a long period of time. United thought, well. We've got it cracked. We are special. But it, they were special because of him at that time. But surely when things are going well, isn't that when you start to plan for the next five years? The next, isn't that what businesses do? They don't ever say, well, we've cracked it. It's going to be the same next year, let alone in five years. time. You have to start thinking about when he retires, how, how football is actually structured and, and the finances. Of the, isn't that all these clubs that are doing better, in inverted commas, than United? Isn't that what they did maybe five years ago? the planning that City put in place for Guardiola to come, the structure, the philosophy. When he leaves, I presume that will carry on, the philosophy and culture at City. It's not just, right, we've got Guardiola, we'll win everything. When, when he goes, everything's going to fall apart. Well, and they're looking for the next 10, 15 years. I'm conscious yes. that, that Hugh's not going to say anything critical of his employers. but No, no, I, I, think was, just, I was just going to just dovetail on that very quickly before we go, go to on. the transfer policy point that you wanted to make earlier. That, that, that simply that while we've given them a little bit of mitigating circumstances, we should say that there is a great difference between the structure of what happened under Fergie, where they were looking five or ten years ahead, and the structure now, where they're clearly looking five or ten weeks ahead. Mm. Minutes. Because, because of the nature of what you said, Rory, about the social media and how that fan engagement is really what they're measuring at the moment. But the transfer policies as well are completely different. The scattergun nature, you cannot have a structure without a join-up thinking with transfer yep. policy because the, the, the two things would mm. not work independently. You have to have one creating the other if you were running your football club, Rory. Yeah, I feel as though I'm the only one who's really bought into this this <laughs> this conceit. Well, listen, honest, we can't all have fine. football clubs. The I thought we were going to run it as a as a as a board. Well, we could be, do, but you're obviously the executive. You could be the executive chairman <laughs> of the Dorchester <laughs> Rovers. Yeah. Don't give too much away. What a board game that would be. For the family gathering. Oh, Christmas. lovely! No arguments over Christmas. Like that. you know, like a football version of Risk. Have you, uh, you know they've got these things called com- called computers. <laughs> what are really? they all about? Yeah. Oh, so I believe that I Christmas. believe that does exist. What so you need is like a footballing simulation of being a football. Uh, you can both be a manager. Yeah, a football manager. Can you? Uh, in a championship, or you can. I think there is one. I, 
I don't know what it's called, where you can be the chairman. Really? Yes, there's yeah. an Modern app. Technology. Is it an app? Modern, yeah. It really is. I just, I just live in a wonderful age. I can't. I've never played that one. The, um, no, the, 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 the thing about City that's interesting, actually, and this is, this is not something we should, we should dally on too much because there's, there's other things to talk about. There are about. other dalliances. I think the, uh, the structure with Guardiola will remain in place. The, I think the challenge for City Thank you. is that it's all been built for Pep. So they'll get Mikel Arteta, we assume, in after Pep goes, and whenever that is, 2021, 2022, 2023. <laughs> 20, 20, 20, 20. The, the, but, and that will, I hope, ideally continue the style of play and all that stuff. But quite where they go long term, I don't know. Do they have built What's the... long term? Well, the five, ten years afterwards, does they have built everything for Guardiola? Mm. That's, what, that's basically why Soriano and Bidiristan are there. Isn't the current trend that you'll have Pepites... Yeah, you, yeah, which is different possibly. to pipettes. <laughs> yes, um, that will come through. Yeah, I presume. Yeah, I guess that's the, the thinking other, that you'll, you'll get lots you'll and have lots more of. To choose the problem is, is that if we're talking about Manchester United, is that they didn't have anybody to choose from in, mm-hmm. for the nature of the availability as it was when Mourinho was around 2016. Obviously, it's easy for us to say how things should be done and to pick holes in the way that they have been yes, done. That's why this is the subject. Yeah. But <laughs> football clubs are clearly quite fragile things. You know, mm-hmm. you only have to lose one component, particularly if it's a major component like a manager, and the whole thing can fall apart. Or it's just human nature, or certainly seems human nature as far as football is concerned, that complacency mm-hmm. creeps in, and that's a really, however much you might think, you know, you you should be planning for the future, that if things are going really well, you might be a bit anxious about doing something that would yeah. destabilise that. So, you know, it's taken Liverpool a long time. To, to get themselves back on, on track, what very nearly 30 years, to, to get themselves back into a position where they are taking, being taken very seriously as being a, a Premier League force. And, and I heard somebody the other day talking about how Manchester United, well, they won't have to wait as long as Liverpool have to win the Premier League again. Well, well why not? They've got no divine mm. right that they're going to put things in place quickly enough to be able to reel in the massive gulf that has suddenly opened up between them and Manchester City and Liverpool and, and even the, you know Chelsea and Arsenal and Spurs. So th- it could be. It could be another two decades before we see Manchester United yeah. win the league again. The, the, That's the, a really good point. The, the, I guess the, the flip side of it is that the game's changed so much that that, that top six in England is now basically crystallised and isn't going anywhere. No, no one is going to join that. So there is a limit to, to how far... United can fall, but we might and not they be should always about top six. We might be talking about top five. Well, that's true. And the, the other thing is that they have so much money, United, that they should, there is a point where if you if you throw enough money at signings and managers, you you're probably just through random chance and don't you get it right. But the flip side of that, the, the flip side of the flip side is that um, it's, it, because it's more crystallised, it's more kind of ossified. It's going to be much harder for United to overhaul five teams who are currently ahead of them who are working, all of them, to be honest at the moment, pretty well. You don't have to do things really well, not just to catch up, but to overtake them again. So, uh, yeah, I, I think if you, t- if you said to a Liverpool fan in, in 95-96, which is the equivalent of where we are now in the Man United rise and decline cycle, if you said to a Liverpool fan in 95-96, you'll have to wait another 20 years, or whatever it is, for a, a league title, they'd have said, no, nah, don't be ridiculous, we're, we're far too big for that. We've got this, this advantage, this advantage, this inbuilt advantage. The world has changed in United's favour, but the, I think there are factors within that that make it will make getting back to where they were. In fact, to be honest, I don't think that the the, the, the days of Man United as the the only preeminent club in England are over. 
it, they will always be one of a, a number and it might be that, that Liverpool or Chelsea or Arsenal or whoever ebb and flow or Spurs but those there will always be three or four of them so do they have the, only themselves to blame for the situation they find themselves in yeah because they didn't they didn't and it's un- what you said about um, it being hard to in fact what you both said about it being hard to build success when you are already successful to, to look to the future when everything's going well some of that the reasoning for that is legitimate but they, they, they stopped trying things. They stopped thinking, what, what will a club look like in three years' time, in five years' time, in ten years' time? What, where do we need to be? And they, they did, I think, to an extent, institutionally, they assumed that they were being successful because they were Manchester United. But, Not they were being yeah. successful because they had Sir Alex Ferguson as manager. But they yeah. were being proactive off the field. Those territorial deals that they did with all the hilarious chip companies mm. and everything, that, that was something that everybody will now look to as being yeah. a revenue generator for the next 10, 20 years of, of their life cycle. So you've got them completely joined up and proactive off the field and not on it because of the nature of the people who are running the, 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 the club at the moment. If if that goes on, that dichotomy goes on and you haven't got success on the field whilst you still think that you're bringing in £600 million as they did last year, I think, it, it can't be, you spoke Rory earlier on about losing being actually more important sometimes or just as important in terms of getting c- it, kind of cultural engagement. Made, when, when you're still making money, it makes it much harder to tell the difference. But that will run out surely if eventually the brand diminishes because the, the, the team are just another club. Yes, and that's what everyone says, that you have to win to maintain interest. But that process doesn't take months and it doesn't take years. It takes decades because right. by the time... Man United have this figure that they've got 659 million fans around the world. That is total nonsense. And as I think I've said before, my favourite re- response to that was from a, I think a director at Flamengo, when a Brazilian old, Brazilian newspaper like Old Globo or someone like that did a did a study on the most popular teams in the world, and they came up with with something like Vasco da Gama, Corinthians, Palmeiras, and then America in Mexico. And they said that was because they hadn't counted people in Malaysia who pretend to support Manchester United, which is the, <laughs> the best kind of survey, which is the one that gives you the type of answer that you want, <laughs> like a second referendum. Uh, the, but if you assume they've got 650 million fans or whatever, th- those people are not... You might you, There might be a bit of drift. Some of them might f- just fall out of love with, fo- with football. Some of them might stop buying shirts. Some, some of them might go and support other teams. That's possible. It's allowed. Um, like that guy's dad who supported three teams. So a lot of people might move to Southampton all of a sudden from Aberdeen and then support Southampton. But the vast majority of them will remain Man United fans and they'll pass that on to their children because that's how it works. And Man United will always be popular. So there will always be this revenue coming in, which means that eventually, yeah, they if they didn't win another title for 100 years, they might start, they might look a bit like wolves, I guess. But to be honest, it'll take a long, long time. A lot of things would have happened in between now and then, you know, yeah. ownership and, and, and things like that. And of course, we spent this entire discussion from the point of view of analysing it as football fans. There are plenty of people who would analyse it as a business yeah. and say, well, actually, Manchester United is a really, really well-run company. They're not going to be bothered about that. But you, have to, you have to football. have the balance. Yes, you have to run a club, yeah. surely, for, um, for financial reasons. But also, when you're a top five, top six club in the Premier League, it has to be about what happens mm. on the pitch and the style of football that you play. Surely, that has to. City being successful, winning things, the way that you win things—that's what people have talked about with <clears throat> with Mourinho leaving. The way that United were playing—it's not the United way. It's not the style of football we want to see. It's how you do it these days. And is that mm. the, the, with United as well? Seeing 
the, the way that Mourinho had that team playing was that the biggest slap in the face to the United yes, because they got so used to seeing dismantling an identity that it's exactly, take, taken yes. so long to, but, to build yeah. but also you have to then this, this I think is a really interesting aspect of the Mourinho sacking is that it's really important to those clubs as brands which always which people always recoil at when you describe it describe them as that but that's what they are that's how they see themselves as much as anything you have to have something to sell to fans you have to and Arsenal's the best example of this that Arsenal didn't win anything for ages but kept getting more popular abroad because they, they, they were synonymous with beautiful football yeah, and people yeah. can buy into that it's the same with, with Klopp and Liverpool that he's given them an identity Pochettino and Spurs an identity of, of pressing and youth and whatever Sarri may, may well do the same at Chelsea Barcelona have an identity Real Madrid although they do, Real Madrid do everything wrong and are the complete antithesis to this whole conversation they, still, they are still successful despite doing everything wrong they have an identity Juventus have an identity Bayern have an identity the problem Mourinho has I think is that he doesn't have his Mourinho's identity is I win stuff, which is fine until you don't win stuff. He does, but it's in Congress with United. But you know, and what, what United want presumably. to do? Part of what made I think I heard Edward Friedman, who was the um, the merchandising director, who was at United in the nineties, who was credited with transforming. Yes, and I think he signed the original Nike deal, yeah. didn't he? The He's credited with one. transforming kind of United as a brand. He said that that you you need to sell. People want to be kind of attached to attractive football, and part of the reason that United won so many fans in the 90s isn't just because they won lots of leagues it's just of how, how they, they won them it, yes, exactly. and that's the, that's the other thing I think you have to do if you were running a club is think right well what what do we want what's our pitch how do we make fans not just in China and Japan and, and Africa and Argentina but in Bristol and Aberdeen and Dublin how do we make them support us and not our rivals what sort of what are our values you have to have the idea of your core values any business does and you, you go out and get a manager who fits in with that and who is prepared to work within that structure. And you've got so many other clubs that are vying for those fans playing attractive football. You can't be seen to be the team that aren't playing attractive football no. if you're going to compete to them. We'll, we'll, we'll finish this conversation with how Chinch completely nailed it at the beginning to say mm. that it is did, specific to a club. A lot of what we've been talking about is a, a, a very, very successful, rich, big club with millions of fans, fans around the world. But Chinch, you mentioned that it has to be Specific. So if you're a team in League One or League Two mm. and you're listening to this conversation or you're watching Manchester United from afar, are you taking any lessons well, from that, this that, that you can actually apply? I, in terms of a structure, yes, I, I do believe there has to be that. Whatever the size of the business is, however good or bad the football team is, improvements can be made and it has to be. everything has to work in conjunction, whatever the size of the club, presumably. Mm. The pressure clearly is... is greater on the, the teams at the top end of the Premier League it's not so much on say Burton mid-table in League One they have the luxury of yes of course they've got a decent fan base but they can get it wrong to get it right in a way the, the pressure on them is very different but still you would presume if we went into a club like that and said well, well how is it run and see out the organisation I think you'd probably expect it to be something similar to a lot of the most successful clubs at the top end of the Premier League because a business is a business is cut to your, how much money it's making you cut your cloth in terms yeah, of the, the yeah. amount of money you've got and, but you'd, you'd do the same thing you'd want someone someone communicating between the management and the board you'd want a specific policy of what type of player you're looking for, looking for. you'd want a manager who plays a, a specific brand of and football actually even those the fans of those clubs are wanting stylish yeah. football something kind of not obviously it's not going to be like Man City or, or how Liverpool play but they want something similar to that 
Well, it's obviously, with, with that, different standard of players, they they want that type of football. That is that's probably a subject for another time. But that's at, at that level, it's probably even more important because yeah. you, you you're not offering people the chance to to play in Europe. You're not offering people the chance to to watch the best players in the world. But you do have to sell them tickets, and you have to sell them keep the them, I, keep them coming. The back. I follow subscriptions that means they, they can watch on what well, they can watch online. Yeah, like yeah. you have to keep people coming back. You have to sell them a product. Football fans are customers. Mm at the end of the day and you can walk away and some fans do walk away and if teams do badly their attendances drop because fans are customers if you, yeah, if you say to the fans well the football's terrible we made a, a, a £2 million profit this season so I'll tell you what we'd rather make nothing but see more yeah. attractive because we're watching 40 games a season so you have to find a way of keeping those people coming to the stadium yeah. so you have to play attractive football I, I think when we were talking probably about nearly two years ago about how Southampton seemed to have got it cracked in terms of breaking into the, the sort of top seven, top eight. Pressing we, that, were, we were talking about how strategy, Nailed if that. you've got a strategy that's going to get you a long way towards yep. success because so many clubs don't. I just hope this conversation uh, dates as well as that one thing about praising <laughs> Southampton. I think it will. We've not used the specific example except to say that in a specific period of United's history they were doing things wrongly. But the final thing we should say is that if, you know, if anyone out there needs a bit of help, yeah, we clearly, are... Uh, Chinch as technical director? Oh, no. No? No, 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 no. I've got a mop and bucket. Right. <laughs> I know my place. You, you can be a throw-in specialist. Let's remember that they've got a place. Throw-ins, really? They've got a place now technique. in the modern game. Um, it's almost time for Hot Pot. Oh! But before that, it's time <laughs> Hot for Pot O'Clock! Never mind Jack and Ori, what a soccer story. This is Andy Tells playing days with all that behaviour and life where the details are moved. We talk a lot about preparation these days and, and working with the media, of course. You, you see things from the inside as well and you know, you see the amount of staff that clubs have the amount of preparation that goes into every aspect of the game. Um, but going back, say, the mid-90s or even before, no, probably mid-90s onwards, when Howard Kendall was at Everton, then Joe Royal came in, even the naming of a team, how much that has changed when a team is named. Because now the preparation during the, say you're playing on a, on a Saturday, the preparation during the week, the players know exactly, or most teams know exactly what the structure is going to be, who's going to be in the team come a Saturday. When Joe Royal came to Everton, that was very much the case. We used to train Monday, Tuesday. The team would be named. We'd have, we'd train Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We'd have Thursday off every week. But the team would already be named on the Wednesday. So when we came on the Friday, we could do all the preparation set pieces. Everybody knew what was going on. Anybody who was unhappy had a chance to maybe go and speak to Joe and say, well, why am I not in the team? Why is this happening? And, and why am I not playing? Howard Kendall was completely... Now, this must have been, presumably, how he ran things with that great team he had at Everton in the mid-'80s when mid they 80s, were yeah. won leagues and, and everything in, in Europe. He basically didn't... I find still some, some managed to, uh, managers today do this. They name a team at 2 o'clock for a 3 o'clock kickoff on a Saturday, which I feel is really unusual because you trained all week. Players are still in the dark about where they're going to be in the team. And on, so on a Saturday, Howard would definitely do that. He'd pick a team at 2 o'clock while you all met together before the game partly was to maybe if people were angry he'd say well I'll tell you what I'll speak to you on Monday morning mm. and it kind of diffused any kind of anger that those players might have but what you said on a midweek game we used to if we're at home at Goodison we used to go to a hotel for the afternoon so have something to eat have a sleep and then we'd all kind of troop onto the coach say quarter to eight kickoff we'd be getting on the coach say about six o'clock to travel over to Goodison and Howard, coaches, you kind of go up the steps, don't you, to climb up onto the coach. And Howard, That's how coaches work? Yes, but they're not, they're, not one, they're not like a bus on one level where you, just, you have to climb up. They're not like an airport bus, no. 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 So Howard always used to sit on that first seat. He always used to be, I bet he got there about five o'clock, and he used to sit <laughs> in the first seat. So as you arrived on the coach, basically he'd say, as you walked onto the coach, you're playing left back. Or when I walked right? onto the coach, 
you're in the stands today and have a little <laughs> chuckle or you're on the bench next to me today as the players were walking and that again he did it so late in the day yeah. you're on a coach you couldn't really react if you weren't in the team or not but it's just the difference again that is presumably how he must have done it back in the day and he probably didn't change his team an awful mm. lot so it didn't really cause too many problems because his strongest starting eleven was going to play every game but with bigger squads mm. you're upsetting more and more people and he was again managing when squads started to get bigger and players started to ask questions of coaches and presumably he thought well, I'm going to carry on doing this because I don't want people starting to ask me questions about why I'm not. that can cause a lot of problems in the dressing room so I'm sure he'll say it's just the way that I did it we can't really ask him no we can't no, there's no way no, he can answer no. but that is but walking up onto a cut and you were kind of dreading that walk from the leaving the hotel to that first step onto the bus you knew I'm going to be in the team I'm going to be on the bench or it's going to be a little giggle you're in the stands today or he'd say something just to try and defuse the situation yeah. so 20 odd players would troop on and that's when you found out whether you were playing or not as you trooped onto the coat. I can't remarkable. see. It is, but again, Joe, when Joe came in and changed the, the, the training, the style of training, the professionalism, when people were told, the well, this is the team, this is what we're going to practice on a, on a Friday. You knew exactly, so there was no doubts. Mm. And he would say, any problems, come and speak to me and we'll, we'll talk it through. How that change happened in the space of like from one manager to another. But there's very few, I think, these days. There's, there's the odd game that I've done in the championship where... I can't remember who it was. It might be Dean Smith at Villa. He names the team an hour before the game, which I find. But how do you really? Surely that can't. I don't know how that can be helpful to you players. You can't be training doing it so late. What about your training sessions? What about your? Well, you wouldn't be doing any structure work. if you don't want the players to know who's in the starting eleven. You yeah. can't really do eleven against eleven or any match practice because that would give yeah. away who's in the team. So again, it tended to be general training sessions. And oh, by the way. This is the, the team. This is how we're going to play. What formation we're going to play. Normally, you train that formation during the week. Yeah. So then operate on a Saturday. I don't really understand why you would leave it so loose and then say, unless your players are so good that you can put out 11 like mm. how it could be that great team. They just had to go through the motions during the week. They knew what the team was going to be and they were brilliant. But when you needed, when you needed to coach players and get them and absolutely know what they were doing, what their position was, who was playing alongside them. That is what has massively changed. But Howard, just, I just like, even remember it now, it brings me, because I knew it was going to happen. Nine times out of ten. <laughs> You're not going to put me on the bench. What's the point of putting me on the bench? It's bloody useless, isn't it? I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> that would be days of three substitutes, presumably. Yeah. What? Three <laughs> substitutes? Days, days of no substitutes. Back in the no, there was early, no, early, early 90s. One I remember there was the days of the one substitute. Early 90s, though, you'd have been, yeah, you'd have yeah, been three yeah. subs. Yeah, but then it got... When did it change to... Five. 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 Mid to late 90s. But then, of course, you're upsetting more people. Then there's a bigger squad. You're leaving out another yeah. five people as well. And that's when I think Howard saw football was changing. More people, oh, I don't really... I want to keep it in-house. Yeah. And he never changed his style of doing it, whether you've got Gary Speed, Nick Barmby, Andre Conchels. That is how he would have, he would have run things. It's just the, the big difference to, to the modern game. Was it one of those coaches that had a door midway down as well? Was there uh, ever a scenario in which Yeah, but Howard would lock that so you couldn't get on halfway. <laughs> no, I, just no I just wondered whether you ever walked on the front door of the coach and he told you to just keep walking straight <laughs> off. You don't even yes. need to come to the stadium. <laughs> just go back out again, can you get a taxi toilet. and go home. Uh, thank you, Andy. Just to let you know, over the next couple of weeks, we'll be bringing you two festive pods, which to those of you in the know means lazy pods. Uh, we'll make them a surprise. Uh, but just to reassure you, next week, your Boxing Day will be spent in our company as we witter on regardless of seasonal commitments that you may well have. So join us for that. And indeed, with it in mind, Merry Christmas to you all. In the meantime, we leave you with a reminder of how to get in touch at SetpieceMenu on Twitter, SetpieceMenu at gmail.com, facebook.com forward slash SetpieceMenu. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve, Rory and to Andy. Uh, thank you to you all for listening. We'll be back with another Set Piece Menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. How did you, um, how did you get on with Ian Wright in the Inland Swads? 
Very well. Yeah. I told, I've told you my story about him taking my taking book on book. Howard Hughes, and I've, I've oh, never seen right. that again. Yeah, you yeah. said you were going to speak to Wrighty. I don't need to. He, he's a listener. Is he? Yeah. I, Wrighty. I to, yes. Give Chinch his book back. <laughs> yes, please It's quite listen, a Wrighty. thick book, and he may well have read it, but I tend to feel it'll either be in the loft or it'll be holding a chair leg up or something. It, it won't be used for how it should be But if it's a used. thick book, it'd have to be holding a very, a very uneven chair. Are you accusing Ian Wright of having very uneven chair? well known for his wobbly tables and chairs. <laughs> Will, does Wrighty only respond to direct messages from you on the podcast? Or if we were all to say, Wrighty, give Chinch's book back, uh, follow us on Twitter and lots of retweets, please. Uh, we could do with the retweets, to be fair. Yeah. We, could we could do, do with the retweets. Yeah. And have, Wrighty, a word, have a word with Shearer and Lineker as well. Yeah, I don't think they're listeners. Yeah, but they don't need to be. I don't know. I mean, do we think Shearer is a podcast listener? I would generally? hesitate not. I I will mention it to him. Did I give I him the road to Wigan Pier? <laughs> I might have done that. I'm sure Shoxy Shearer really wanted that.